You are listening to The Social Hotelier Show, a podcast that inspires hoteliers to create meaningful and memorable experiences for their customers in pursuit of their passion. We share our views and experiences relating to hospitality, technological trends, and also relating to humanity. Here is your host, Sam Eric Rutman. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Social Hotelier Podcast with me, Sam Eric Rutman. Uh, we're having a great show today. I'm really thrilled. My guest today is Ted Rubin. Uh, he's a leading and legendary social media strategist, popular keynote speaker, connector, and author. And he's been involved with digital media since, uh, as far as I understand, since 1997. And uh, I first heard about Ted when I wanted to learn about social media and social media marketing having fallen flat on my face when I was opening up a hotel in, in Dubai. So I just, uh, that story is a little bit, it's going to be say for another time, but believe me, I knew absolutely nothing about social media and I thought I was doing the right thing. And clearly I should have uh, listened to Ted or learned, met him at that time, but, but I'm glad I do it finally now. So, but caught my attention uh, was uh, Ted's under, under, easily understandable way of describing things like why you should be on social media. Uh, I read his book, Return on Relationship, which, which was an eye-opener. So, Ted, thank you very much for joining well, us today. Sam, thank you so much. And truth be told, I can't imagine you ever falling on your face. Um, I'm sure that what you think was falling <laughs> on your face probably just wasn't executing up to your own expectations, because that's what I find a lot of I, I think so. a lot Maybe of us so. hold ourselves up to a certain level, you know, that is often unachievable. Yeah, I mean, I, I every day I think, oh my God, I didn't do enough, and then but if I sit down and write down everything I did. Then, it, then you look at it and go, wow, like I can't believe I got so much done. And it's part of the reason, you know, you use the word simplify and, and how my explanations make it easy to understand. And sometimes I'm ridiculed for that because I don't get into the nitty gritty technical. But my goal is to just help other people understand how to use these tools to better your life, to, to share, to build relationships. It, you know, it, it's not all about measurement and, and exact sciences. So, you know, again, let's, let's, let, let's, you know, I've been watching the show, The Wolf. I'm sorry, The Bear. I called it The Wolf. Isn't that funny? There's a, there's a Netflix series. I, I, I'm sorry. It's not Netflix. It's Hulu series called The Bear. And the line on The Bear is, let it rip. So let it rip. Sounds good. So um, one of the things I, because you wrote this book, uh, Return on Relationship, uh, can you talk, speak about the, that, is, what inspired you to write about it and what were sort of the key message you want to get across to, to the reader? Because this book, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, so, so current as it could ever be considering it was written. 2013. Like, uh, 2013? Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's a little bit of a story behind it. If I go on too long, please, you know, pull me up. But it, look, my whole life uh, has been about relationships. It's something I was taught by my dad, by my coaches, by my mom. Um, and I have to say mostly my dad, just that, you know, do for others without expectation of anything directly in return. And the return would be that you build a brand and build a reputation, and a lot of that would come back to you. So as a youth, I used to watch my dad um, clean up other people's driveways, you know, send me out to shovel the walk of our neighbors when they couldn't do it before he'd let me go and earn money doing it, you know, to people I didn't know. He was the guy that pulled over on the side of the road and picked up garbage cans that were in the middle of the road. Uh, and then as soon as 
because I was old enough, he'd make me do it. And now I'm the guy that stops on a major road in South Florida because there's something laying in the middle of the road affecting traffic and other people. So I pull over, I put my flashes on, I move it. And that's just kind of where it started. And just to kind of move forward into the business world, um, again, when I started into business, when I was in college, everywhere I've gone, I've built relationships. And I've been very fortunate to carry those relationships forward in that I meet someone and then they kind of become a part of my community. And then I don't think there's been a job or a school or a sport that I've been involved in where I didn't walk away with that one buddy or that one friend, at least, you know, or, or that one long-term relationship. And when I got into business, I started out in the business world after Cornell in sales. I was in the investment business and uh, I was a stockbroker and I was taught to cold call and to, but then to take those cold calls. And my whole thing was instead of just going for the numbers to make as many as I could and don't think I wasn't chastised by my superiors at the time because they wanted me in what they considered working harder. I tried to build strong relationships with the people that I was speaking to. I would meet up with them. I would spend time with them. I felt that if I could be stronger with them, I would need less, less clients to make my future versus the mass of people that I didn't know. And th that just kind of kept evolving with everything I did. And every time I went into something new, it was to me, it was about the relationships I made. It was I built sales teams, but my method of building sales teams was building relationships with the people that I recruited and that I found something in. And to fast forward, it, I, I got into the digital world in 1997 with Seth Godin. And um, fortunately, he was someone that valued, I don't think he ever really speaks outright about this topic, but he values it. He would not be, we were out there selling something that didn't exist. We, we were selling online promotions in 1997 and 1998. And truth be told, if we came back after seeing a big company with a sale, he'd be upset. He'd be like, how could you sell them something? You don't even know them. Like he, he it was, it was, he wanted us to come back with information more importantly than an immediate sale, because he felt if we just sold something on those calls, that whoever we were selling it to didn't even understand what we were selling. So all of this kind of kept bubbling up my head as I moved through my career. And really where return on relationship came from was in 2008, I was at Elf Cosmetics. And we were building this very small brand that had been almost exclusively direct to consumer uh, before I joined. Um, and social media came about and I was recruited to be the C the CMO of this company, but the CMO role at this company entailed a lot of sales. They wanted someone that had a sales background, which I did. And I, I kind of come to marketing from sales and a lot of it had to do with working with Seth and learning everything that I did there. And I was very fortunate because I had moved to New York. My family was still in Florida and I would get to the office very early because I really had no other place to be. And Seth is an early riser and I got to hear him express his views on permission marketing, on idea virus, on all these things that he was formulating before anybody had had really thought of them. So here I am at Elf Cosmetics. I, I discover this thing called social media. Um, they had had a MySpace page at the time and had just started a Facebook page and I shut everything down uh, 
and because I wanted to understand it better. And I seeked out people. Uh, there was a gentleman named Oz Sultan. Um, shout out to Oz. He was one of the first guys that walked me through his view initially of social media. I was introduced to him by a guy named Roger Hollander, who I met at, at Pete Cranick's CMO Club, where we were one of the we were two of the first ten members um, of the club, and. Right away, it dawned on me that there was this, again, there was no advertising on social media then other than content you produced. You couldn't buy Facebook ads in 2008. You couldn't buy ads on Twitter. Um, and to me, I found this remarkable opportunity to connect with people. And that's what I've always wanted. To, that's what I've always liked doing. But I'm not the greatest guy in a room where I don't know everybody. Everybody thinks that I'm outgoing and stuff, but I'm really an introvert much more than I am an extrovert. I force myself to be an extrovert. And once I start talking to people, the extrovert comes out in me. But all of a sudden, I was in this place where I could kind of pick and choose people. Wow, Sam Eric Whitman, look at him. He's running hotels overseas. I could hear what he's thinking and see what he's writing about. And Twitter came out, and I was always a frustrated writer because I am much more comfortable speaking than I am writing long form. And now, all of a sudden, I had this tool where I could write in 140 characters. I mean, I could write a sentence, and people appreciated it instead of saying, you only wrote a sentence? Now I was getting patted on the back for being able to express a concept in just 140 characters. And so for me, it was, it was like manna from heaven. Like I found these platforms and I was able to start building relationships and I immediately saw the value for brands. I was like, wow, this is amazing. We can talk to our customers without going to a store. And imagine for a brand that's especially direct to consumer at the time where we didn't have stores where we could even if we wanted to go in there and talk to customers, you know, the only way we were really talking to them before this was on the phone. You know, and, and we all know how limiting that can be, especially if it comes in through customer service, which is where most of those calls come to. So all of a sudden I started seeing, I was able to see what customers wrote. I was able to send them product and see how excited they were about it. And I really didn't come up with this concept until I was in the room with the founders of the company who would call me in periodically because I wasn't allowing them to do any promotion on social media. I was trying to build relationships. I didn't want to sell. And at the time, Elf Cosmetics was known for their 25% discounts. I mean, we were a dollar um, um, uh, cosmetics brand and we were always running promotions. So we were, first of all, training our customers to wait for discounts. So it was almost impossible to sell them pr products at full price at the time. But more importantly, I didn't want to bombard them with, with offers because what I was hearing, and by the way, this is a really key word, what I was hearing because I was listening to people was that they didn't want me sending them promotions every day, that they didn't want me trying to sell them, that they, they loved that they were talking to the CMO of a brand of a product they had who was actually listening to them. So I kept putting off promoting on social media and we were a big email marketing company. We made a lot of money with email marketing and, and, and we were really good at it. And a, a guy named Alan Levy ran our email marketing. He had a company at the time called SellUp, um, which is now, oh my God, he's gonna kill me that I can't remember the name of his company. So I have to name it before we get off the show um, because I still always think of it as SellUp. But Alan was a remarkable email marketer. And of course he wanted access to all these followers I was garnering on social media because uh, we very quickly became one of the most followed cosmetic brands in, in social media against the likes of Estee Lauder and, and, and 
um, Lancome and all these others uh, because we were talking to people and all of them had companies where the the um, legal teams were not letting them say anything. Oh, you can't say that. You can't do that. None of them understood social media. And I had the good fortune of not having a legal team. And I had two owners that said, if it doesn't cost us any money, go for it. I said, well, all I need is a couple of interns as helpers, and I can do this all day long. So I was out there communicating with people, and they kept saying to me, we've got to market to them. We're like, look what you're doing. We've got this whole new channel to sell. And I'm like, not yet, not yet. And one day they called me in their office, and they're like, listen, Ted, we've really got to start selling to these people. When is When are you going to let us do that? Like, it, you know, you know, it's really ours. It's not yours. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm the guy building all this. I'm the guy staying up till two in the morning, communicating with the people. I'm the guy with my own personal Twitter handle that's building up all these followers for the brand and for myself. I said, you know, guys, you got to understand it's not just about return on investment. Because they kept saying, what's the return on investment? We're, we're pay- I'm like, well, you're not spending a lot of money here. They're like, well, we're paying you a lot of money. So I'm like, it's not just about return on investment. I said, it's about re- return on relationship. It was like the first time it came out of my mouth. And they just looked at me. Yeah. And these two guys who were all about money just started staring at me. And they said, hmm, return on relationship. We want to hear more about that. In my head, I'm going, I don't have much more to give them. Like, I just came up with this thing. But luckily, they said, listen, we're really busy. We've got another meeting coming up in five minutes. We've got some other things to go over with you. How about we get back together next week and we talk more about this return relationship thing? I walked out of the office. Uh, I I quickly – I actually believe I still had a BlackBerry at the time. I did. And I put out on my BlackBerry on Twitter, um, it's not just about ROI. It's about ROR, return on relationship. And my phone blew up. My Twitter handle blew up. I mean, I, I, at the time, I had 2,000 followers, which was considered a lot. Um, and I probably got a, a few dozen retweets. I got people asking questions. And I started thinking about it. And what did I do? I did what I did with all these things. I reached out to people. I listened to them. I let them tell me what they thought it was all about. And that's really where it all started. And, and you know, that was 2009. And I just kept developing on the concept. I kept writing about the concept. And finally, and you know, people kept saying, you have to write the book. You have to write the book. And fortunately, in 2012, I met Catherine Rose, um, who um, was moderating a panel that I was on. And when people asked me why I didn't write the book, and I said, because I'm just not a writer, she reached out to me afterwards and said, we have to get together for lunch. She's like, I am a writer, <laughs> and I will get us a publisher, and I would love to write this book with you. And the rest is history. Oh, it's a fantastic story. Yeah, the thing is, there, there's something that made me think about this, that, that uh, hotels are very good in the face-to-face interaction with guests. But uh, when it comes to uh, relationships on, on, on social, for some reason, it's a very difficult thing for them to th- think about. And I was just thinking about how can... Uh, we can get the hotels. I'm sure a lot of hotels have come around to understanding that part, that how you can build relationship <laughs> without actually meeting a person face to face. But uh, one of the things I'm kind of curious to see your your opinion and your view on is that uh, because you you come from the retail side, I come from the hotel side. What is it something that the hotels could learn from retail that maybe they don't, they don't still get it? Well, truth be told, I don't think retail's using social media to its best effort. But I think that hotels have a lot better 
an easier opportunity to leverage the wealth of information that is that is that is available via social media. So the problem is, is I find that hotels are still living in a very different world. I mean, l let's talk about something really simple. Everybody leaves things behind in a hotel room. Everybody, right? And especially these days, we leave we leave our wires for for these devices. Why? What amazes me is what a lost opportunity it is that the vast majority, and I would venture a guess, ninety eight percent of hotels never utilize that to build a relationship with the customer. What do they do? Some of them just throw the crap out. Some of the bigger ones will put it in a box. And then they have this room by security that has 10,000 firewires and, and, and cables and electronics and all these other things. None of them reach out to the customers to say, hey, you left something behind. And I, there is one hotel chain that, that, that did it for me. And I think maybe it was because they catered to families. And I, again, the name's not going to come to my head. But it's this hotel chain that has um, – um, uh, water parks in their hotels. Maybe you know the hotel. It's in it's in it's in um, the United States. I forgot the name. But when I left something there, I got a a email immediately. I got a call from the head of security, and not only did they tell me what I left behind, but when I said I would give them a, a Federal Express number to ship it back to me, they said nonsense. We'll just ship it back to you on us with, with no way we take that. So no, that's great. so here's what I don't understand. Yeah. Every single hotel in this country has a capability. They don't have to give it to me for free, but everybody would be willing to get their things back. Housekeeping goes in there. They find these things. They know who is in the room. You have all my contact yeah. information. You know my phone number. You know my email address. You probably know my social media handles, especially if I'm in your, in your uh, loyalty program, which most travelers these days are. What a lost opportunity. And imagine... How many of those people, now we're going to circle back to social media for a second, how many of those people would post on social media, oh my God, I just stayed at the Intercontinental Times Square, I left behind whatever it was, and they immediately got in touch with me to let me know that I left it behind and how can they get it back to me? Uh, imagine. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, what, we, what we call the lost and find, uh, one thing is that there is a, it's a very old what we call a standard operating procedure that uh, of some reason uh, hotels have not taken making the effort to contact the guests or for whatever reason but more importantly what happens to that stuff that they're collecting for over almost a year they have an employee sale so all the stuff that has been found is going to go being sold to the employees <laughs> in the next year if it's not returned so i'm sorry to break the news but that's really a shame how how it's happening in reality yeah, it's a shame and then now now uh, uh, by the way i am talking about things where it, it's so easy to do here's another thing why don't hotels have employees maybe even interns who look up things on social media about the people that are coming to their hotels um, the kids like Hershey yeah. bars. I mean, and by the way, a lot of these ideas I have, not because I'm smart, but because I've been at hotels where I've seen them do it. And there's always, it's, this is all about either the GM and like you and I both know, I can walk into a hotel and tell you in a heartbeat, if the general manager is ever on property, if that general manager walks the property, because you walk into a hotel where there's dishes laying in, in, the, lot, in the hallway for, for five hours, you know that GM never walks the property. 
Whereas, you know, you also know GMs where I've made a complaint, very minor, something about the thermostat in my room. But, but two hours later, the general manager was walking the halls. He knows what I look like because somebody gave him my photo. And he walks up to me and says, I want to make sure everything was taken care of in your room. And you're looking at him like, yeah, how did he yeah. know this? And the problem is none of this is institutionalized. None of this is by the enterprise. None of this is happening because because Marriott says it should happen or Hilton says it should happen or Intercontinental says it happens. It only happens where there is an individual, either general manager or somebody else on his team who takes it upon themselves. There was a great um, um, concierge at the Palo Alto Four Seasons many, many years ago. And he recognized, especially this was probably 10 years ago, that a lot of people in Palo Alto, because of the, of the nature of the area, were more involved in social media, let's say, than maybe some other travelers. So he would go and look up the social media profiles of the guests coming in, especially when they were coming in for social media conferences. And he would make a point of doing something for them that was something they liked, a particular vodka, uh, a, something as simple as a Hershey bar in the room. I mean, these are yeah. the opportunities that I think are so simple that could be executed for such a small budget that are overlooked by – and here's the, the other problem is what is the name of the institution? It's called hospitality. But how many really sure. give you that hospitality that has to do with knowing who you are or having that relationship? Yeah. Yeah. I've been – I really talked about quite a bit about this, uh, that how to involve your team – uh, from the top to everyone in the team to be on social media. And one of the things I noticed, there are, there's a resistance, particularly from the top, where they, there's a, a control factor where they want to make sure that does the employee say the right thing on social media if they are supposed to be the ambassador of, of the hotel? And I said, well, it's the kind of culture that you put into your hotel that encourages people to say the right thing. And uh, so, because I believe that every employee is an ambassador for the property, and I would love to see them, every single one be on social media and build relationships like you are talking about, building those relationships, but still very few hotels are, are uh, taking it seriously. Very few hotels can seem to manage to get their employees to say hello when they arrive, to welcome you as a member yeah. of their loyalty club for, I mean, the little things that, you know, like a, a company that does this very well, not hotel, but I still consider it, or travel, Delta does this great. Every time I get on a Delta plane, I'm thanked for being a loyalty member. I'm thanked for being a million miler. I'm thanked for yeah. being a diamond member. I'm thankful for being a platinum member, whatever year I was that. And it, it's that little recognition and... The problem is you get, a, first of all, a lot of employees that go, well, I wouldn't care if somebody said that to me. But it's not about you, number one. And it's not about everybody mm -hmm. caring. It's about the few that do. Because are you going to get everybody to share good things about when you travel? Um, but I also see a lot of companies going the other way. Um, Delta Airlines used to be great on Twitter. They used to um, they used to engage with people. Um, I knew this, the team there because I would post about them every time I flew. Now, there are some issues with Twitter now, currently called X, and I totally understand those because I've kind of lost a lot of my interest there as well. But there are other platforms. There's I tag Delta every time I'm on – I use Instagram every time I fly. I don't get anything back from them. And worse yet, what I get on Twitter from Delta is I write 
so I, I'm sure you've seen my, I post my socks when I fly. It's part of my brand, Ted Sockies. I always yeah. do it when I fly. I always, I, I not only put, I put Delta's logo on the photo, I tag them. And you know what they're doing now? They're using old school AI, not even new sophisticated AI. And I get a, a, a direct message on Twitter saying, um, we'll have someone contact you directly because they think I'm complaining <laughs> and I'm not complaining. I mean, I, 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 I'm saying something good about them. I'm saying thanks for the ride, you know, Delta. Thanks for, you know, for all the special treatment, Delta. I'm really excited to be a part of your club. But instead, I get direct messages that are auto, you know, fulfilled, that are using AI in its simplest form that I used to get six, seven years ago when 800 flowers, every time I posted one of their bouquets that I sent to my mom with a note telling them thank you, I get a message saying, sorry, you're having a problem. How can we help you? Um, I'm not having a problem. So, you know, a lot of this is back to what you said. There's fear. They want things that are automatic so they know exactly what goes out every time. They're lazy. And I'm sorry, but most brand marketers are lazy. They, 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 they worry about having a social media team. They don't, want their, they don't want their people on there. Guess what? There's two things about employees. First of all, they're on social media. But if they're not doing it with your yep. guidance, they're doing it without your guidance, which means who knows what yep. they're saying. And then the other thing is if you can't trust your employees, you probably have the wrong employees or you're training them improperly. Absolutely. Good. I want to get the move to, uh, you wrote a book about looking people in the digital eye. Um, uh, could you talk about that? Uh, uh, what does it mean? Because I, I got sort of, when I, when I saw the, uh, read that sentence, I thought, okay, I have to start to look at the person on the other side of that lens or what was it? That's how I understood it. But could you speak about so it? It's called how to look people in the eye digitally or my line, yeah. please, you know, look people in the eye digitally. And what it means is yeah. to do on the social platforms what your mother and father probably taught you to do as a kid when you were with people. Pay attention to them. Look them in the eye. I remember when I went on my first date, it wasn't my dad's advice that resounded most with me. It was my mom's. She's like, look at her. Don't look at the other people walking in the room. Don't look up every time the door opens. Don't look up every time somebody walks by or another woman walks by. Make sure you look her in the eye or you probably won't get a second date. And, and, and then my dad taught me, so I, I like to tell a story. I graduated college in 1980. I got my first job and I had to get appointments to meet with people. So my dad called me up at the end of the first week. He said, how'd it go? Did you get your first appointment? I said, yes. He goes, when is it? I said, it's next Thursday. He said, what time? I said, 10 o'clock. He goes, what time are you going to get there? I said, probably about 10 to 10. He goes, no, get there at nine o'clock. Walk around the neighborhood, see what restaurants are there, what stores are there, go into the building, look up on the board that shows the companies there, see what other companies are in the building. Get into the office early and see if the person you're meeting, if their assistant can get you in the office so you can see what's on the walls. Are there diplomas? Are they a parent? Are they a grandparent? Do they like to play golf? Do they like to fish? And his point was find points of emotional connection because everybody's coming into that office to sell them something the way you differentiate yourself is by having conversations about things that interest them instead of what your goal is there your goal should be to build a relationship not to sell them something 
when you're when you're walking in the door. And back then it was hard. I mean, you you're you come from my generation. I mean, remember we used to have to go and get microfiche at the at the at the library to try to look up a company, or there were there were some catalog books that showed the names of executives, but there was no information. Now we all have the ability to walk into an office fully prepared to speak about the topic, the person, the company, their likes and dislikes. I mean, not everybody publishes everything, but looking people in the eye digitally means going to their LinkedIn pages, going to their Facebook pages, seeing what they're posting about, going to their Twitter, see what's important to them. I mean, are they into politics? Are they into sports? All this information is available. And now, and I tell you, this still happens. I, I, I'm consulting for a company. I end up in a meeting with their salespeople, with somebody they're looking to do business with. And the first question out of the, out of the sales guy's mouth is, um, is a question like, so how long have you been here? Hello, have you ever heard of LinkedIn? How could you not know how long he's been here? Why didn't you do that before you walked in the door? There's two very simple, better questions that you could be saying or statements. You could say, I noticed that you've been here for 15 years. You must know a lot about the company. You can really educate us. That would be great. Or I just noticed you started last month. What can we do to support you? I mean, this is how you use that information. So looking people in the eye digitally is about getting to know who they are. I always, I go to friends' Facebook pages. I, I, before I speak to them, I want to see what's going on. You know, is there something big happening in their life? Again, not everybody posts things that are useful, but oh, there is a digital footprint of almost everybody. I don't get on a sales call. I don't get on an initial intro call without Googling somebody, without looking up on their social profiles, without seeing if there's something I can find so I show them that I truly have an interest in them. That's very good. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, what I call the golden nugget that you are sharing this because this is exactly what uh, we need to do more. And particularly now uh, that because hotels have so much information about the, the guest who is coming to, to stay with them and uh, taking the time to understand that uh, what does it mean when uh, one of the uh, uh, persons uh, who's coming that he's always posting pic pictures about the club sandwich which he ate in a particular place. Right and what he likes about them. So what's wrong with about the offering? Hey, we have a, some, a special club sandwich when you stay with us. I mean, I'm sure that will create uh, some positive feedback. And to then him. to do it in reverse, I have things about me that I do regularly so people know who I am. So people have an easy way to talk to me. I publish my socks. There's not a place I walk into with someone doesn't pull up their pant leg to show me their socks or say to me, show me yours. You know, I, 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 I'm very into... The expression be good to people so people are always quoting yes. that or they know that there's a topic they can talk about they know that i'm a divorced dad they know that i that, that i've had issues you know with alienation with my daughters i share that because it gives people yeah. something easy to talk about rather than having to come up with what i call the smart comment i mean when you're in that cocktail party and you see sam eric rutman and you want to oh i got to impress him you know i i, I want to talk about it. instead i might say you know, Sam, I got this great new bow tie, like, and you inspired me to wear it. Now, I used to wear bow ties, and I have, I have a great bow tie story. And I like to say that so stories are a great way to connect with people. And I like to say, tell your story in a, in a way people will care. And then to just yeah. – before I, I know we're not done yet, but to, just to bring some of this around, I think you see like, so I love to wear t-shirts with messages. And, and lately I've been wearing the, yes. these let's ripple on or let's ripple shirts and stuff. And what, what, what this has to do with is that every action creates a ripple effect. 
And so especially if you're in the hospitality business, think of the ripples that you and, and think of when you go to a, a, a everybody is a, skip stones, right? You go to a lake or, and, and you skip a stone and you see how one goes or you throw a rock in and it starts a ripple and then it keeps moving outward. These are ripple effects and every action creates a ripple effect. And think about the ripple effects you could be creating as a hospitality institution by these little, little things calling them when they leave something behind, leaving a chocolate bar in their room that's their favorite chocolate bar, knowing that they like a club sandwich, uh, saying hello to them by their nickname. I mean, these little things. Yeah. And here's what's changed. I understood 10 to 15 years ago when a hospitality chain might say, well, that's creepy, you know, because people weren't used to these tools. But now everybody knows these tools exist. And if you're publishing on yeah. them and you're making it public – then you clearly don't have a problem with people seeing it. So why not take advantage of those things? Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, I want to lean to a, a topic because we have been, we've been talking about uh, like a social media and social media marketing. Uh, how do you see the future uh, of the social media marketing? I mean, I mean, you're, you're probably one of those guys who know how it started. You lived through the beginning and now you are seeing what it's now. But where do you think it's uh, – where is it going uh, as, you, as far as you can see the social media marketing? Is it something that something else that we should be aware about? Is it the AI who's going to take over all the actions or how, how do you see it? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, I will tell you that my fear is that it will go by the wayside and become an AI-controlled medium. That every brand, especially yeah. with the brands, you know, maybe not with individuals because a lot of us really enjoy the social aspect of social media, or even if it's just sharing stuff so that we're telling people about their lives and we're not even engaging with them, but we're letting our friends all over the world know that our, our child just had a baby or we just had surgery or things like that. But my fear, because I find that most companies are always looking to make things easier and to make them a repetitive thing that they can do with the press of a button is that social media is going to yeah. move to the AI to become an AI controlled medium. Now I, I understand the value of AI in helping to create content. I, I get that. And, and I, and I, I use it sometimes myself and I value that, but I like my business partner, John Andrews and I have said for years that you, that marketing will win when humans control the machines instead of machines controlling the humans. So if humans are oh, running helpful. the machines and they are filling it with the proper information and using their judgment and using their foresight, using their gut instinct and listening to how people are reacting and looking them in the eye digitally, I think there's so much value out of that. But if you, if you ask me to bet on where it's going, I would say that within two years of today, 99% of social media will be created by machines and it'll be AI driven. And even the responses will be coming via AI as they already are, as Delta is doing via Twitter with crap uniform responses that say the same thing every time. And I, by the way, I have no problem with companies testing new technologies. I get that things don't always mm. work properly or the way you want them to, but it's just like anything else. When I put out, I, I do write controversial things on social media, but I never write something commercial that controversial and then go to sleep. I never write something co controversial and then go not go back to see how it's being received because I want to make sure that I'm there to either do damage control if it's misunderstood 
or to evolve my thinking if perhaps someone's pointing out to me, rightly so, that I said something that either didn't make sense or was injuring people that I didn't intend to injure or, or not expressing myself in a way people understood. And my fear is that most companies, and especially hospitality, um, are going to go to the point where it really doesn't become social media. It just becomes social platforms with pre-made advertisements. Well, we have a lot of work here ahead of us in, in hospitality, clearly, to to uh, get over this. And uh, I, I'm trying to do, do my little share here by speaking with people like yourself to educate the hospitality industry also and uh, in, in this way. But I think uh, you, you pointed out some very good things about the, because I'm very concerned about uh, where the social media is going. I mean, we only talk about there has been a year yeah, roughly a year since the AI chat, chat GPT came out and people got crazy about it. And now you can get all these apps and bots and prompts and people are crazy learning about different prompts to make life much easier. And I'm really worrying about how the algorithm is taking taking over with the certain platforms where they are taking advantage of people maybe who are uh, have a, have a issues about their looks or or, or 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 something about their confidence and then they're starting to post things which are not very positive and I worry how those are evolving and I, I think we need to talk more and speak up about uh, what the TikToks of this world are doing on these platforms. I agree 100%. I, I think it's, it's less dangerous to, let's say, the hotel business or hospitality, but in general, I think those things we have to cover. So, I, look, I just think that there's two things that people, we, we as individuals, probably most importantly, and companies, and especially the hospitality industry, two things I want to leave you with. One is that, I say this all the time, but I really mean it from my heart, is that relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. It's really that simple. And that doesn't mean it has to be every day. It means that you just have to think about these things. And then the other one, which is kind of in line with it, but to me is an extension of it, is that a network gives you reach, but a community gives you power. Networks connect, which is great. Networks connect people, but communities care. And especially in the hospitality industry. I I just published something recently from a a friend who's the head of global marketing at Intercontinental, Liz Krasafi. Um, And she wrote a post, uh, or actually she shared a post that was written for them about Indigo Hotels, which is one of their their chains, about how they're very – what they've really been focusing on is the communities and the towns and the cities where they're located and featuring things that have that have an element of that so that they become a part of that community and of that of that location and i think that's really important and that's another huge opportunity for the hospitality industry absolutely well uh thank you very much uh from all, all this for this time that I, that you have spent on this episode. Now, people uh, who want to find out more about your activities and how can they do so? Where can they find okay. you? I, I'm sorry, it's a very obvious question, but um, I, I, I ask anyway. It's not at all because you never know. I'm just looking. Uh, okay. My friend's company, the email marketing company is called Alchemy Works. I just wanted to say that Alan Levy, great, great company. One of the best email marketers I know. As far as finding me, it's really simple. Um, I am Ted Rubin on just about every platform. I'm at Ted Rubin on, on, on Twitter. I'm at Ted Rubin on Instagram. Uh, um, I'm at Ted Rubin on, on, um, YouTube, um, and on, um, 
Oh my God, I can't believe I'm I'm zoning on on Threads, which is the new um, like the Twitter like platform from Facebook and Instagram. And really simply, just Google Ted Rubin, T E D R U B is in boy I N, and the first fifteen pages is probably my content and my social media um, you know platforms and where I'm located. And even better, if you want to reach out to me, I actually answer my phone. And my voicemail is not full. So it's Ted Rubin. Um, it's 516-270-5511. And you can email me at tedrubin at gmail.com. And I guarantee you'll hear back from me. Well, fantastic. Now, for all the viewers and, and the listeners of this podcast, when you write to Ted, please put the hashtag, the social hotelier that you saw this yes. episode and when you ask a question. So I would really much appreciate that. So, Ted. Thanks again for your time. I really, uh, this meant, may, really meant the world to me that we had a chance to spend, well, you said half an hour. I got 40 minutes out of you, so I really appreciate that. My pleasure, that. Sam. Thank you very much for having me here. This has been a pleasure. And uh, please, again, your audience, please feel free to reach out to me. And Sam, I'll look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining us this week on The Social Hotelier Show. Make sure to visit our website, thesocialhoteliershowblueberry.net where you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, or via RSS, so you never miss a show. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we appreciate a rating in Apple Podcast. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that will help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.